And it says this. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth. Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rithath, and Togamath. The sons of Javan, Elishar, Tarshish, Kittim, Dodanim. From these, the coastlands people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Saptika. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it says, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Erek, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. Rehoboth, Ir, Kala, and Resen, between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lahabim, Naphtahim, Pathrusim, Kalahim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gokushites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Simites, the Avadites, the Zamorites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gera as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. To Shem, also the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Alam, Asher, Aparkhasad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Aparkshad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Pelag. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelath, Hazamaveth, Jera, Hadram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimiel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Shepher to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem, by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, 
and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. They left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem. When Shem was a hundred years old, he fathered Aparkshad, two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Aparkshad for five hundred years, and had other sons and daughters. When Aparkshad had lived for thirty-five years, he fathered Shelah. And Aparkshad lived after he fathered Shelah for four hundred and three years, and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived for thirty years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber for four hundred and three years, and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived for 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg for 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived for 30 years, he fathered Rhea. And Peleg lived after he fathered Rhea for 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Rhea had lived for 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Rhea lived after he fathered Serug for 270 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived for 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor for 200 years, and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived for 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah for 119 years, and had other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived for 70 years, he fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in the Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahar took wives. The neighbor Abraham's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahar's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Ishkar. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abraham's wife, and they went forth together from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Well, in a moment we're going to have a look at that passage. Uh, but before we do, I'll mention that there's going to be questions, so be aware that they'll be coming up at the end of the service. You have your order of service, which you can use if you like. And then finally, let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this account, might we get to know you better. As we think about how your people rebelled against you, might it inform us how you have brought about your redemptive history. Might we understand what you achieved through your Son, by bringing him into the world to unite a people to you. Amen. Well, as we work through our way through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, we can see a pattern. It's a very simple pattern. Something positive happens, and then that's followed by something negative. So first, the world is created. This is followed by the fall, and then Cain killing Abel. 
Then, those who live before the flood, they prosper, having long lives and multiply. And this is followed by their intermarriage with the sons of God and the flood. Noah is saved, and the creation ordinance are re-established. And then Noah becomes drunk and is shamed by his son. Today we have another pattern. Noah's descendants begin to fill the earth as commanded, but that's until they all gather as one to unite, apart from the Creator. The genealogy in Genesis 10 is quite different to the genealogy we saw back in chapter 5. If you remember in chapter 5, in that genealogy you have a father is named and his son, probably his first son, is named, and then other sons and daughters are allowed for. But they're only given a passing comment. What happens is that the father, who has a son, the father dies, the son now becomes the father, and he has a son, the father dies, and so on and so forth. We might describe this as a linear genealogy simply following from father to son, father to son, father to son. And it specifically focuses upon the death of each generation, making the point that, yes, as God had said, if you eat from the tree, you will surely die. Here in Genesis 10, the genealogy is far from linear. It's more tree-like. It branches off in every direction. Noah's three sons are taken one by one. Each time multiple sons are listed and a choice of these sons are further expanded upon. The order in which they occur is intentional. We start off with Japheth. The nations that come from Japheth will be the furthest from Israel and they'll have the least to do with Israel. The nations that come from Ham will be closer and they will play a significant role, or at least some of them will play a significant role in Israel's history. And then the nations that come from Sheth includes Israel itself and then many of Israel's closest relatives. And at the end of each section we have repeated three times in verse 5, 20 and 31. These are the sons of by their clans, their languages, their land, and their nations. So this genealogy is designed to serve a different purpose to that one that we saw earlier. This one is describing how the descendants of Noah branch out and fill the earth. But there's one more thing to notice. Have a look at verse 25. It says this, To Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. So information is given regarding Eber's son Peleg. And the footnote helps us here because Peleg means division. And the reason Peleg was given this name was because it was in his days that the earth was divided. And if you remember back when Noah was named, his father said he would bring rest to the earth. And Noah sounds like the word rest. 
when Pelo was born, his father said that the earth would be divided. And so it's most likely that what this points forward to is the events recorded in at the start of Genesis 11. The division of the people on the earth at the Tower of Babel. Now when we come to the Tower of Babel, it's worth spending a moment exploring what precisely is wrong with the events that occur. We might look at it and think, isn't this humanity at its best? Humans working towards one united goal. There's peace among the whole of mankind. What's the problem? Once again, the creation order helps us to explore why this activity is questionable. If you remember, God had given humanity the role of ruling over creation. But they were to do that under the rule of God. We can further add to this God's mandate that the people fill the earth. So what we then see in verse 4 is they're actively going against God's word. So chapter 11 verse 4. Then they said, come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a man for a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. First, they set out to build a tower that will reach the heavens. In the ancient days, heavens was considered the home of God. And they wished to be, build a tower so they could become like God. The second reason they take this course of action is so that they will not be dispersed over the whole earth. They build a so-called skyscraper. So they can remain in one spot. And this is a direct disregard for God's mandate that they fill the earth. The third reason is they set out to make a name for themselves. This being the height of pride. And this anticipates the alternative that we will see next week when we look at Genesis 12, 1-3. So here in Genesis 11, humanity wants to make a name for themselves. In Genesis 12, 1-3, God will call Abraham, and it will be God who will promise to make his name great. There's a wonderful irony to verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. The people have set out to build a tower that reaches the sky. But God, whose abode is in heaven, cannot make out what the people are doing. So he has to go down to earth. Only then, once he's on the earth, can he see their best efforts. In verse 6 we read, Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. As one people, God says they will be able to do anything. Now what this cannot mean is they can literally do that which is impossible. We've already seen their attempts to reach the sky has fallen far from short. Rather, we're to think, as they work together, they will be able to plan without limit. 
Now, being able to plan without being thwarted is usually only ever attributed to God. What they're seeking here is a prerogative of God. What we do not have is here is humanity attempting to reflect their creator. Rather, theirs is the desire to be divine. And so God frustrates the people's effort. And God does this by responding in two ways. He confuses their language. They can no longer communicate. The building of the tower comes to an end. Second, they are dispersed across the world, the very thing that God has commanded them to do, both at creation and after the flood. And at the end of the count, the city is named Babel. And from this point on, the Bible will return to Babel and what will later be known as Babylon. Throughout the biblical narrative, Babylon will remain the ultimate example of pride and godliness and wickedness. Babylon will take the people of Israel into exile and once again the kings of Babylon will be rebuked by God because of their pride. And then in the book of Revelation, the symbolism is continued as Babylon will become the imagery of what will need to be destroyed for God to create the new heavens and the earth for his people. Now the world that we live in continues in the same vein as that set out here in the account of the Tower of Babel. Though it's approached in a slightly different angle, the result is the same. Here the people wanted to unite and be like God. Now, People want to unite because they deny God exists. Ultimately, nothing's changed. People believe they're able to solve the world's problems. If we work together, we can bring about peace to this world. They believe we can save the planet. They believe we can make this world better for our children. And they believe we will do all this without the Creator. And yet these plans are doomed to frustration. But there is a plan that cannot be thwarted. It isn't humanity's plan. It's God's. And on the day of Pentecost, the whole of history was given a glimpse of how that plan was being fulfilled. It was a plan initiated by God himself. And when God sent his spirit among all the people who were at that assembly, though everyone present spoke different languages, everyone was able to understand the words that were spoken. The division was gone, as was the confusion. This was the sign that the last days had arrived. It becomes clear that salvation is available, but it isn't a found in man's attempts because salvation belongs to the Lord and everyone who puts their trust in Jesus will be saved 
So we who trust can look forward to a day when the sin of man's pride, whether it be the pride of the garden or the pride within the city of Babel, will once and for all be destroyed and we will be gathered up and united into one people from every tribe and nation to become part of those who will dwell with God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your eternal plan in which you will reconcile your people to you. And as we reflect on the world that we live in and the pride of man, we pray, Lord, that our eyes would turn to you and assurance and confidence would be in you whose plans cannot be frustrated, will not be thwarted, but will come to fruition. Amen. I mentioned earlier on there'd be an opportunity for questions or comments in light of what we've been thinking about. Any thoughts, comments or questions? Okay, we've got a question for Archie. Why did God not like that they were building the Tower of Babel? So there are a couple of things that um, God didn't like about it. The first was, he told them to fill the earth. But instead of filling the earth, they decided they wanted to live in one place. And instead of building houses out into the earth, they wanted to build a very tall house. And they wanted to live in heaven. And the only person who lives in heaven is God so they were trying to take his place. So they were trying to be like God. So God frustrates their plans by confusing their language and then spreads them out as they were supposed to live. Does that make sense? Any other questions or comments? Yes, Susie. Yeah, good question. It is a bit of a puzzle. Let me repeat the recording. So how are we to think about the um, genealogy and the chronology and how the Tower of Babel fits? 
So obviously by the time you get to verse 5, we've already got this idea that they've spread out and they've got different languages and they are different nations. And then when we get to chapter 11, it seems like they're all united. Um, so how do we fit it all together? Yeah, so I guess, I mean, one possibility is, and I think this one makes the most sense, is that when you get to the first uh, to chapter 10, it's basically giving you the broad brush strokes, you can have the, the very large context, and it's sort of taking you from start to finish. So they started with the three sons, and then they ended up uh, filling the earth. And then, but partway through that account, and this is where Peleg's quite helpful, so assuming that Peleg does refer to that division, i.e. the division of the people, not some other division, then we're probably assuming that up until that point, the people hadn't quite spread out yet because they were united together. And then at Peleg's generation, that caused them to spread out, possibly. Um, but not sure. But I, I think I think that makes most sense. Yes, Nathan. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, section 2 to 5 and 6 to 14, no, 6 to 20 is happening parallel. And 21 to 31, so it's three, obviously it starts with Japheth, Hem and Shem, and you get these three uh, genealogies. So about partway throughout down where Peleg is, presumably they're all living together. And then you see the dispersal more after Paddock's generation and whoever else fits with that generation. Jeez. That's kind of three, but they've been fairly short. Anyone else got a pressing question or comment? Nikki? Yeah, so just to repeat, so everyone else can hear the recording. So, um, Shem is blessed, back in chapter 9. Ham is cursed. And then you see that Ham 
basically becomes the enemies of God and and then Shem there's, you know, there's plenty of people there both in Shem and Ham's group that we recognise um, as people who interact with with the Israelites excellent should we leave it there then um, we're going to have a further reflection from Ephesians but before we do we'll stand to sing My Hope Is Built <laughs>